welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. In our last podcast, we interrupted our study of the First Amendment as centered around the life of Isaac Bacchus by providing a brief overview to show why such a study is vital today. In reality, this struggle has continued from the beginning when Satan sought to bring man into captivity and away from the kingdom and rule of God. The believer's Pledge of Allegiance has always been first and foremost to God, the Creator, and to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Few people are aware that the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States was written by a Christian socialist named Francis Bellamy. Obviously, the phrase, under God, was not included in his version. In fact, under God was not added until the 1950s. Also, originally, the salute to the flag involved stretching out the arm toward the flag similar to that of the latter Nazi salute to the German flag. A massive study could be done regarding Francis and his brother Edward and their influence in spreading socialism in the 1800s. Truly, the ideal of socialism with government controlling all the affairs of life is no no new philosophy in this country, and it begins with the idea of allegiance to government first. The government does not understand that it has no better citizens than the Christian so long as the state does not demand the believer to disobey the Lord. However, let us return to our study regarding the influence of the Baptist Isaac Bacchus in working to secure religious freedom in America. In previous podcasts, we saw that Bacchus, as a representative of the Baptist Warren Association, the first New England Baptist Association, in conjunction with the Philadelphia Baptist Association, the first Baptist Association in America, met with the General Congress in Philadelphia in 1774 to labor toward the freedom of religion in the forming of the new government. At that time, the Sons of Liberty, as headed by John and Samuel Adams, opposed the idea of such a freedom and the Baptists were told by John Adams, quote, We might as soon expect a change in the solar system as to expect that they would give up their establishment. End of quote. However, when the war with England was declared, Isaac Bacchus and the Baptists in general supported the American cause. Not only did the Baptists of the colonies support the war against England, but the Baptists in England also supported the American cause. Now we will look somewhat at the role of Bacchus regarding the framing of the Constitution in the United States written in 1787 and ratified in 1788. Though Bacchus supported the war against England, he continued to labor for freedom of religion in Massachusetts. 
This was not easy for him. In a letter to a brother minister in London, he wrote, I should have fainted long ago had I not believed that wherein men dealt proudly, God was above them, and he fixed a persuasion on my soul that if we faithfully improved the advantage he gave us, rulers would be forced to give up their tyrannical power over the church of God and the consciences of men. A large part of my good friends here rather wished than believed we should obtain a so great a blessing, and therefore have often been clogged instead of helps in this great work. As a quote from The Life and Times of Isaac Bacchus by Alva Hovey on page 247. Hovey further stated, quote, From a passage in this letter, it appears that the bold and unyielding course advocated by Mr. Bacchus was not approved by all his brethren. Some of them at length became disheartened and were ready for the sake of peace to make the best of existing laws without subjecting themselves to yet further and seemingly profitless toil or expense. End of quote, page 248. Nevertheless, Bacchus was willing to suffer to the uttermost for religious freedom. Listen again to the words of Alva Hovey. For many years in public and in private, he had solemnly protested against, his, uh, against this submission. He had urged his brethren to suffer for their property, to be all confiscated rather than to recognize the validity of human laws in the domain of religion. Whether his views were correct or erroneous, they were the result of protracted examination, were endorsed by his conscience, and were maintained with Christian fidelity to the last. His was not the spirit of falter and turn back at the prospect of danger. There was moral heroism in his soul, and he was ready for the severest conflict. To find his brethren prepared to relinquish in discouragement their high position and plant themselves on lower ground was therefore a sore trial to his patience and charity. But so far as we can ascertain, he was enabled to bear this trial, if not without complaint, yet without bitterness of feeling. Had his brethren throughout the state refused at this time to give in certificates and cheerfully take the consequences, it is at least probable that Mr. Bacchus would have been permitted to welcome in his own way that complete separation of church and state for which he longed. As it was, he died in faith, not having seen the blessing which he desired for the churches of Christ. That's from pages 249 through 250. Yet the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was passed declaring, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of press, 
or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances in 1791. However, it was not until 1917 that Article 46, Section 1 of the Massachusetts Constitution was ratified and adopted, which stated, quote, No law shall be passed prohibiting the free exercise of religion, end of quote. Therefore, Bacchus did not live to see this full freedom in his state during his lifetime. Isaac Bacchus continued to labor for religious freedom in Massachusetts as well as in all of the colonies. In 1786, a law was passed in Massachusetts that, quote, confounded ministerial and civil taxes, end of quote. Hofe gives some letters of Bacchus during this time to show somewhat his views and beliefs. Obviously, we cannot include all the letters recorded, but I believe one will be adequate to manifest this. It is from Hovey's book, pages 251-252, and it is as follows. To George Washington Esquire, President of the United States, Sir, among the many addresses to Your Excellency since your advancement to the highest seat of government in America, I suppose you have received none from any community of Baptists in the state of Massachusetts, not because they have not as hearty a regard for Your Excellency as any denomination therein, but for want of a convenient opportunity when you were in these parts. But an obscure individual begs your acceptance of a private token of love, which may be of more real service than many flattering public addresses. Indeed, if elegance of style and composition were necessary to render any book acceptable to your excellency, the author would not have presumed to send such a present as his History of New England. But but believing that the knowledge of principles and facts and of their influence on mankind through various changes is of great importance to your view, he hopes that this work will not be unacceptable. Much of it was taken from original records and papers which were never before published and none of them have ever since been disputed in any newspaper among us. The Quakers were so much affected with my first volume published in 1777 that one of them wrote a considerable volume against it, but when he came to lay it before their committee, they thought it better to apply to me for corrections, and a committee of theirs met with me in Providence in December 1780, and after two days' labor, we agreed upon the corrections which are in the end of the second volume, which agreement was signed by me and by their committee. If any others would have favored me with their corrections, as they might have done and concealed their names if they pleased, it might have been 
of public benefit, but no such favor has been granted me. The continuance of tax and compulsion for religious ministers in New England, while it is abolished in Virginia, is a clear demonstration of the narrow selfishness of mankind. The continuance of it here for Congregationalists and the abolishing of it there for Episcopalians are both commended by Dr. Gordon in his History of the American Revolution, in which is much impartiality about civil and military affairs. But religious ministers, when supported by force, are the most dangerous men upon earth while no men are more necessary and useful to human society than faithful teachers. Of this further evidence is given in two late pieces which I here send you, that your excellency may still be guided and preserved in your exalted and difficult station until righteous government shall be well established in this land, that your latter days may be peaceful and happy, and your end be eternal life, is the earnest prayer of your humble servant, Isaac Bacchus, November 15, 1790. While much more could be given regarding the life and influence of Isaac Bacchus in laboring for religious freedom in America, allow me to supply a brief summary from page 50 of William William G. McLaughlin's Isaac Bacchus on Church, State, and Calvinism. He writes, The net conclusion regarding Bacchus's position on church and state after a careful reading of his tracts on the subject must be that while his pietistic arguments provided a powerful cutting edge against New England's ecclesiastical system, and particularly against the practice of compulsory compulsory religious taxes, his subordination of the doctrine of natural rights, his advocacy of a Christian state, and his essentially theocentric center for revealed truth produced a far less logical and consistent exposition of separation than that of Madison, Mason, Jefferson, or even John Leland. In fact, in certain respects, Bacchus had more in common with the transformationalists or theocrats than the separationists. Bacchus and the New England Baptists were Jeffersonians in politics primarily in reaction to the standing order's federalism but basically they shared the socially conservative heritage of their region, or at least their eastern spokesman did. Our time is exhausted for today. The Lord willing, we will begin studying the influence of the Baptist John Leland and his role in securing religious freedom in America in our next podcast. Farewell. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard? 
or just want to let us know you're listening, visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.